This morning, I'm going to continue our parable series. And, uh, uh, sorry, primary school kids, come up to Laura, please. Way to go. Good on you, kids. Um, the parable I'm looking at is one that's often called the, the parable of the prodigal. But more accurately, it's a parable of two sons. Luke 15 starts with the parable of the lost sheep, then onto the lost coin, and then the lost son. In the lost son, we see the cost of rebellion. But back to sheep. Sheep aren't very bright. They're quite helpless. They can get themselves into all sorts of bother. And they need farmers to look after them. One day when I was surveying many years ago, we were driving out near One Tree Hill. It was a stormy day. It had been pouring with rain. It was freezing cold. And surveyors are always looking for high spots that are clear of trees to set up a theodolite. So silly us, that's what we were doing. I looked out through the windscreen wipers, which were going flat out, and I saw on this bright green knob of a hill a white mass. And on closer inspection, I saw four legs sticking in the air. It was a sheep that had got waterlogged and had fallen over and couldn't ride itself. So we stopped the Land Cruiser and we went over to it. And this is what we did. This is not a video of that occasion. But this is what we did. <clears throat> it took two of us, though. It was much bigger than that. See what's happening, kids? <laughs> Trying to put the sheep back on, and the sheep got up on its feet eventually. It staggered under the weight. It staggered because it's, it was almost frozen. When we grabbed its fleece, the water was turning to ice. It was very close to death. If it had been there probably for another, I'd say probably another hour, it would have died of exposure. But fortunately, we came along and we saw it and we had the, the mind to help it out and to lift it and put it back on its feet and it went, went away and joined the flock. Similarly with the lost coin, we can feel sympathy for the situation. The lady, she probably had a headdress of coins the string probably broke, one of them fell, fell off. It's not just a 10-cent coin, it would have been her life savings. The lost sheep and the lost coin are really significant because in both of them, there's the act of searching. <clears throat> the audience. We see in verse 1, there are tax collectors and sinners. But also in verse 2, we see that there are Pharisees and scribes, teachers of the law. In hearing about the lost sheep and the lost coin, the unworthy sinners would have immediately identified. 
You see, the tax gatherers and sinners were really those at the bottom of the heap, those despised by the religious leaders, those thought unworthy of God's love. Whereas the Pharisees and the scribes were those at the top of the heap, the righteous ones, the ones worthy of God's love. So the tax gatherers and sinners would have immediately identified with those stories and also of the lost son. He's often called the prodigal. What does prodigal mean? It means reckless, extravagant, unrestrained, holding nothing in reserve. Yeah, that was the lost son. He did all of those things and he did them well, didn't he? The younger son rebelled against his father. He demanded his share of of his dad's estate. It was demeaning for his father because he would have had to go to the the town square and negotiate to um, sell some of his land. The people at the town square, the judges, would have known what was going on at home. It was demeaning to him. And not only that, it would have meant loss for him but also loss for the older brother. So what do we learn from this part of the story? We learn that to not follow God's ways is fraught with problems and dangers, pain and heartache. We learn learn that there's no limit to God's love and forgiveness at the end of the story. And we learn that it's never too late to turn back to him. But our story doesn't end there. There's something else that we need to focus on. Now, kids, Laura has hidden some coins around this area here, and I'd like you now to go and see if you can find them. Quick. Oh, no, they're not fake. They're real. Oh. Find a coin, find a coin. <clears throat> Way to go. Excellent, excellent. Kids, kids, look. 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 Yeah, grab it. Yay. Yay. Oh, yay. Okay, come back when you found them. Let's go. Just one. Just one. Okay. Come back up here. That's it. Well done. Well done. So you all got a coin. Now, what if I told you, what if I told you there were chocolates out there? But you can't, but you can't go and search for them. You can't have them. How do you feel about that? That is so unfair. That so sucks. I agree. Maybe you can have them after church. What do you think? Now, I've got a little grandson, and he loves playing hide-and-seek. He loves hide-and-seek. And he hides somewhere, pretty obvious, and he says, Nana, Papa, come and find me. 
and when we get close, he jumps out at us because he can't contain himself anymore. But what do you reckon, how would he feel if he said, Nana, Papa, come and find me, and we didn't go looking for him? How would he feel, do you think? A bit sad, I reckon, a bit sad. What if you were lost and no one came looking for you? How would you feel? Yeah, that's right. That's what you'd need to do. Exactly. Okay. Look, we see in Luke 15 and 4, the farmer searches for the sheep until he finds it. And the woman searches for the coin until she finds it. But no one searched for the lost son. Who should have gone in search of the lost son? Should it have been the father? Well, in Jewish culture... I don't think so. He had an estate that he had to run and he, and, and he had many, many people who were responsible for him, who he was responsible for, sorry. Um, and, you know, and, and if you're a mother or a father, you'll know that when someone is in total rebellion, one of your children is in total rebellion against you, that love means that you need to let them go and work it out for themselves letting them know that you're always there to pick up the pieces. I remember when I left church, I was about 14 or 15, I got one call from an adult and uh, I told that adult that I needed a rest from church. Well, that rest lasted 12 years and, uh, and my journey paralleled that of the prodigal. So who should have gone in search? The older brother. Yes, the older brother, when his self-centred young brother um, wanted to wreak havoc on the, on the family name and on the family fortune, where was he? Where was the older brother? Now, he had been in conflict. His young sibling had disowned and dishonoured the family. Many of us have children who've dishonoured the family and disowned their church family where they were raised. In not going after and searching for the younger brother, the older brother erred. But then he had the opportunity to set things right, didn't he? When his young brother returned. But the stakes were now much higher. What if dad reinstated him as a son and gave him another share of the family wealth? That would undermine the older brother's financial planning for his future. Beside it being very, very unfair anyway. Self-righteousness is a cancer. It might start as a logical response to sin, but it can quickly turn into judgment and blame and pride. Are there any limits to grace in our lives? We know there's no limit to grace in God's life. But do we limit the action of grace from us to others? And what can get in the way? Well, there are two emotions that I'm aware of that can really get in the way. And they are shame and blame. And they come straight from the Garden of Eden. 
we measure ourselves constantly against others. Either we're not good enough or we're better than. So often, in our thinking, we might not act it out, but in our thinking, it happens all the time. And in doing that, we're in danger of missing the real deep connection that we have and we're offered with our Heavenly Father. And the vulnerability with others that that can bring. Yeah, things go against us in life. Things went against the older brother. It's what we do next that counts. And if we muck that up, it's what we do after that that counts. We always have another opportunity, don't we? You know, if if you and I could do life successfully, we wouldn't be here this morning. It's so true that all we've done is really get ourselves into trouble. Isaiah 53 and 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, Laura, you're going to take us through a little thing about better. No! So, do you think you're better than that person, or maybe not quite so good as that person? What do we 
get most of her schoolwork done on time, and and she's she's nice to most people at school. There's some people that are a bit weird, but most people, most of the time, she's pretty good at school. What do you think? Do you think you're better than that person? Not as good as that person, or about the same as that person? In the middle. You reckon you're about the same as that person? I reckon, yeah. No, what I, I can't. Oh, you can't fix. Does everyone think you all think you're about the same? Yeah, yeah you're about the same as that person. Well, that's pretty cool, but I wonder what the Bible would have to say about that. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and no one is good enough for God. That's pretty interesting. So that's like saying we're all the same. Yes, that's why we're the same for kids. That, yes, high five. Well done. We're the same for kids. Thanks, honey, Laura. Yeah, good on you, kids. You know, <clears throat> you know, the older brother had a, an air of superiority. He was better. And we can fall for the same trick, can't we? We can uh, think we've got a better house or a better car or better shoes or better clothes. Kids, you can think you're better at schoolwork than someone else. Better care for the environment. Better financial management. No. Better looking after your pocket money. No. Better intellect. Better adherence to the road rules. Better care for our loved ones. Better politics. Better choices. Better choice of life partner. Better relationships. Better behaved children, better culture, better ministry, better church attendance, better worship, better music, better doctrine, better knowledge of the Bible, better religion, better programs. It goes on and on and on and we can identify. What challenge of superiority do I struggle with? Comparison is a human condition. Either I'm better than or I know better than. And yet you know the only better that applies to us is that we're better off. Because we put our destiny in his safe hands. The gospel doesn't refer to better people. It talks about better connection. It talks about vulnerability. It talks about dependence on our Heavenly Father. Colossians 3.3 says, we're hidden with Christ in God. That doesn't make us better, does it? Isaiah 30.15 says, in quietness and trust is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, we may wish, we, we, we may yeah, wish that Jesus had included included a third brother you know that one that's just like you and me the tolerant flexible kind loving forgiving peaceable selfless caring patient brother you know that one but he didn't why do you think that is because you know I think that we're basically like one or other of the brothers or a combination of the two we're either more licentious, 
more loose in our, in our, the, our way of living, or we're more legalistic, more structured and rigid in our way of living. And we all need the gospel. Because only in the gospel does licence get out of the way and legalism get out of the way and allow us to live as God intended us to live, as humble human beings. Think about yourself. Are you more that free-spirited person, that person who's, who, who loves an adventure and loves to, to throw caution to the wind? Or are you that person who's, who, who, who loves the well-trodden path and loves that someone's been down it before and proven it for you? You know, the truth is we all need radical heart surgery and only the gospel can give that we saw that the young the young brother was a selfish individual we saw that the older brother is a self-righteous individual only in the gospel can we find selflessness only in him, only in knowing that we are found in him can we truly be selfless. Let's have a look at when the young brother came home, the older brother's response. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. The older brother developed a victim complex. I've been slaving for you all these years. There was an explosion of pent-up anger and bitterness and it spewed out at his impression that he'd been hard done by. But his father's compassionate heart for the lost shone through. He wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 Not just a select few. Does our heart match the father's heart? The gospel enables us to move from fear to faith. Both the young son and the older son had a fear of missing out. The young son, the fear of missing out on all those adventures that he would find unshackled from the father. The older son... The fear of missing out on the inheritance that was rightly his and he was working hard to attain. Both of them had a fear of missing out. 
And what it did, particularly in the older son, it produced joyless sacrifice. But the gospel offers us the journey of faith, of trusting in God and joyful obedience. Now, there might be areas in our lives where faith is yet to take its full effect. It might be the areas of our health, our finances, our relationships, our geography. I remember when we were first married, Sharon said to me, Darling, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere, but not to Africa. Her newly acquired faith just didn't extend that far. Now, she really didn't, I don't think, mean the continent of Africa. She meant the difficulty of third world ministry. But God took us to Indonesia instead and tested our faith there. He's got a great sense of humour. Let's not, let's not limit what he can do with a willing heart. Are there any areas for you and me where life-changing faith needs to take hold? Both brothers, or neither brother, had peace. They both suffered from FOMO, the fear of missing out. You know, the younger brother, he obviously lost connection with his father. The story makes that plain. But you know what? The older brother also lost connection with his father. 1 Samuel 15.22 tells us that to obey is better than sacrifice. When I'm connected with him, I'm able to be truly connected with others, to journey with others, to be vulnerable with them, to share in highs and lows, to face fears, to face anxieties, to face doubts, and together navigate the big issues of life, confident that the one who began a good work in you and me will complete it. You know, the gospel takes us out of our slavery to sin, takes us through servanthood and invites us into bond servanthood. You see, a slave has no freedom. The servant is looking for freedom one day and it might be at the end of this life. I'll, I'll, I'll be off the merry-go-round of service, of ministry. I'll be able to relax in his presence one day. But he wants to take us one step further. He wants to take us into bond servantship where we found freedom in the here and now. Let's think further about the older brother. Why do I do what I do? Ask, your question, ask yourself that question. Why do I do what I do? Is it for my final re reward? Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you're looking forward to that. But you know, that's only half the benefit. To be declared righteous legally is a promise of future reward, of future freedom and joy. 
But that freedom and joy are intended to, to be experienced right here, right now. We're invited to that great feast on the last day. But you know we're invited to feast on him daily. Question. Do you see your seat at the feasting table? You're invited to take that seat now. If you don't see your seat at the table, maybe in your mind the table's too big and you can't spot your seat for the sea of people. Or maybe in your mind the table's too small and there's not a seat there for you. Or maybe the table is too far away and in your mind it's going to take so much effort to get there. My message to you this morning is pray for a revelation. Pray that you'll be given a vision of your own personal seat at the feasting table of the master. The older brother turned down his seat at the feasting table. When the father invited him in to the party, he turned it down, even though he was living in the household. He was still a son, but he was a legal son. He was not a joy-filled son. He missed out on the experiential joy of sonship. When the sheep was found, there was joy. When the coin was found, there was joy. When the son was found, there was joy. John 15:11 says, "I've told you this so that my joy might, may be in you and that your joy may be full." And then what Beck shared this morning, same verse, Psalm 16:11, "You make known to me the path of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand." Wonderful, wonderful promises. And then Galatians 5 and 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now kids, just one last thing. For you. You remember that sheep right at the beginning, the picture of that sheep that was on its back. It had got waterlogged, all of, all of its fleece had got waterlogged and it couldn't get itself back up again. And as much as it tried, it couldn't help itself. And as much as its other sheep friends would want to help it, they couldn't get it up either. It needed the shepherd to come along and grab it and put it back up on its feet. And you know, Jesus is our good shepherd. And sometimes we find ourselves on our backs with our feet stuck in the air and saying, everything is a mess. Life is a terrible mess.
And Jesus comes and puts us back up on our feet and he says, peace be still for you. Come and spend time with me and come and spend time with my other sheep who care for you and look after you. And that's where real freedom is found. Okay? Now there's just one last thing. This parable is often called the parable of the prodigal son. But you know, there's another prodigal in this story. And it's the prodigal God. We're introduced to a prodigal God, the one who is unrestrained in his love, reckless in his giving, reserving nothing in his forgiveness, allowing his only son to die on a terrible cross to secure our freedom, our joy. So today, let's press in and trust him, the one who's totally trustworthy, the one who's totally reliable, and the one who will never let you down. Let's pray together. Father, you're a good father to us. We give you thanks for who you are. We give you thanks for your word, because your word illumines your heart. And Father, you've shown us your heart this morning. You've shown us your prodigal heart this morning. The one who has held nothing back to secure our future, our freedom, our joy. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.